Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and Daniel Medina here at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. So happy that you have some time to spend with us today. And yes, it is something we live for, explaining that that which seems unexplainable. And by the way, not just looking for a simple answer, we're looking for the best answer. And in fact, to that point, we look at both sides of the equation, the good, the bad, the, the ugly, you know, even a coin has two sides and then it has an edge, right? So we want to look at all the pieces to the puzzle so that you can make a better, if not a more informed decision about what makes sense for you. And at the end of the day, what we're all about in terms of making sense is uh, seeing what has to happen for you to be able to make work optional on your terms. So it means not just drinking the Kool-Aid, not wearing the funny co colored glasses that distort everything. Let's identify what you're gonna need to make work optional on your terms. How much money does that take? What happens in the event uh, something happens to one of the breadwinners, whether you're married or not? What does the survivors need to keep the household going the way it was with four hands now that there's only two hands in the equation? And finally, with the children, the question becomes, how can we all attend the graduation and cry our eyes out, not just because the children finish college, but because they finish not carrying any debt? And by the way, neither do the parents carry any debt. That's the way we like to roll. So this is uh, fun for us. We hope you enjoy your time with us. And it is something we do every Wednesday from 12 to 1. So let's look at uh, our agenda this afternoon. First, we're gonna look at, uh, speaking of children, how might you teach your child to be someone like Warren Buffett? I mean, this guy has some great tools in his toolbox. And we all know that once we develop our habits, when we make our habits, our habits make us, right? Isn't that what parents always told us? Well, it's true for our children as well. And so sometimes we have habits maybe in the family that are not really the best habits that we can impart to our children. We need to look to people outside the family, but the good news is there are great people with some good habits and we can learn from them. And I'm always remembering this favorite bumper sticker says that says, uh, <clears throat> experience is like a comb, nature gives you once you've become bald, right? So before you and I go bald, let's see if we can learn from other people's experiences as opposed to repeating the same experiences that we've gone through. So we'll talk about that. And then we're delighted to have Paula Matasoniera, uh, who's a uh, expert when it comes to marketing. She's gonna be addressing what we call stimulus for business, right? You got your stimulus checks as an individual, but we see kind of, like we said, two sides of both of the same coin. On the one hand, we're seeing the highest number of bankruptcies. At the same time, we're seeing the highest number of businesses starting from scratch. So the question becomes, what kind of systems can you employ? What kind of things do you need to do other than pass out business cards, right? Cold calling doesn't work any, anymore. So are there some systems and maybe some technology that you can put to work to make sure that your business not only survives, but thrives the good times, the bad times, and whatever happens between those two extremes. That's what we'll be talking about. And then we'll be uh, getting some information, sharing some information from Susie Orman. Uh, and and I, I mean, this is interesting because we don't generally quote Susie Orman. And I first want you to know that I'm jealous of Susie Orman because she is a household name and I'm not. <laughs> so that's the truth. But sometimes Susie comes up with some good ideas. Uh, one of the bad ideas, by the way, when it comes to Susie is she has this blanket approach. Everybody should buy a house and pay for it. I'll pay it off as soon as they possibly can. We think that's more customizable and individualized as opposed to everybody should do the same thing. We don't agree there, but let's go to work. And as you know, one of the things we like to do is cover the markets, but not just in the last nanosecond in terms of what we think it did in terms of how it closed in a, in a day. We want to look at it on a year-to-date basis, and we want to see what kind of patterns might be coming into the 
equation. So for the Dow year to date, that's from January 1 through today. And of course, uh, we've got what about 51 minutes before it closes. And, and by the way, sometimes people look at the beginning, the opening, and they say they're set, but they didn't look at the closing when <laughs> Daniel and I will never forget 2008. That last hour was a hellish hour, okay? I mean, it's just like the, the Titanic went down in 60 minutes every single day. And that didn't stop for months. It was more painful than we would like to uh, share with you, but it, it is the truth. So year to date, or some, I'm sorry, today we're off about 75 points, but uh, year to date, the Dow Jones is up 12.88%. Those are, those are good numbers. And then we look at the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest stocks of the country. We see similar results from the standpoint of year to date, January 1 through today, before closing, up 12.67%, also in negative territory today. And what's interesting about that, as Daniel and I, we, we keep our eye on these things because we, we, the markets seem to be about a percent or so below the all-time highs. But the first thing that captures our attention is notice how the markets seem to get to those highs and then back off for some reason. It, it's pretty thinly traded, by the way. It's not a broad market. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a lot of, uh, um, uh, it's, the breath isn't there. That's what I'm looking for, okay? Uh, the other thing that we're, we notice is that we, we may be seeing a parallel uh, with the uh, splintering off of the NASDAQ. In other words, last year, as you remember, we saw that uh, the Dow and the S&P did very well. The NASDAQ did spectacularly well. Well, this year, we seem to be in kind of a reverse pattern. In other words, again, the Dow and the S&P up about 12% so far this year. NASDAQ is up 8.4. Compared to last year, as relative to this year, we can see that the same kind of activity that we so enjoyed with the NASDAQ in the last 12 months is not happening so far this year. And one of the things that we see is a, is a caution light is to notice that back in the 2000s, we saw the NASDAQ go through the roof for the last half of the 90s and then fall apart the first two years of the 2000s at about, it was about 30 months or so, off 80%. Could that be happening again? Because see, what happened then was that it was the dot-coms. You, you remember all the companies that were dot-coms? You could name a company without being named dot-com. Well, the, the smaller ones just fell off the roof, okay? And then the larger ones kind of caught fire and then the whole market came apart at the wheels. So could that be happening again? We think that is a possibility. And just so that you understand, when we say we think it's a possibility, our research team is suggesting just based on the information we've gotten over the weekend, that the first leg down from some point around here might be a loss of 47 to 50%. And notice I said that was the first leg down which means that there could be another leg down to south for another 40%. The team is suggesting be not surprised to recognize losses that might exceed 50, maybe 80%. Now, we're not trying to predict the future, but we want you to understand how things can unfold. And often the bottom falls out very, very quickly. So we'll be, we always talk about some of the things that you can do to keep your assets intact, as opposed to allowing your assets to be handed to you, because you, know, you don't want to change the deck chairs on the Titanic because the damn ship is going down to the bottom of the sea. Maybe we need to get off the Titanic, not just move the deck chairs around from this stock to that stock as the market is falling apart at the seams. So that's, uh, that's what we like to make sure people know. There are ways to do that, and it doesn't mean you have to do it yourself, and it doesn't mean it's that complicated, but it may mean that you need to hire better help that will look at your account daily, asking the question, is it risk on or risk off? Are we putting fuel on this fire or water on this fire? In 08, we wanted water. In 09, we wanted fuel. So we've got to make sure to use different tools given the environment that certainly is evolving all the way, every time we turn around. So let's move on to looking at uh, something Daniel was very interested in, and, and I am as well, and that's how to teach your child to be the, the next Warren Buffett. Uh, this came from uh, MoneyWise. And what kind of tips did you pick up on, Daniel, that captured your imagination? Well, a few of them. Um, and the, the main thing is here, it's never too early to, to, to get good money habits. So this is something that uh, a lot of my friends could need. But for the most part, we want to teach our kids and young people because this is something that just isn't taught in schools like it should be. So the first one, it's never too, start, it's never too early to start 
learning about money management. Um, that means teach your kids. Elementary school is a great time to just let them know that money doesn't grow on trees. Games like Monopoly in life can really help teach them about spending. And it's not as easy as just taking a card out and, and actually and just putting it on credit. You actually have to have some money to buy things. So you mean just uh, when the kids watch mom and dad go to the bank and all they do is stand at the ATM and they're like, dad says, I need some money. And the kid goes, well, go to the bank. I'm out of the machine. Isn't it that simple? No? <laughs> Once you put some money together, yes. But you got to put that money together first. Okay. And it's, then, it's, then it's waiting for you at the bank. Gotcha. And there is a value of saving. We should learn that early. Always a value to save of saving. There's something that should be taught as early as possible, even when we're when you start giving allowance to your kids. Prioritize saving over spending. So if you receive an allowance of ten bucks, maybe you should save ten percent of that. That's how they begin to understand the percentages. Which we in America, we, you know, the truth is uh, the only four-letter word we're probably not friendly with is math, <laughs> and math is an, an essential habit that we need to learn how to use and get comfortable with. How about uh, having good examples? Your kids will pick up on your on your habits. So be a good role model. Set good habits for yourself, and that'll translate to the people that you love, especially your kids and your friends. So be a good role model, save money, invest money, and inspire people around you to make better decisions. And talk about what you're doing so they can learn from your example, as opposed to be in uh, wonderment about how this thing works. And you mean there's, there's a difference between what you want and what you need? Yeah, it turn, turns out, yeah, there's, there's needs and there's wants. And just because we want everything doesn't mean we actually need everything. So teach your kids early the difference between needs and wants. Start with having to make a list. This is a great idea that we picked up. Have them make a list of five or 10 things that they, that they want to buy and then go over them and let them and explain to them what's the, why is this a need versus a want. Explain the difference. Good point. And yeah, we, we, especially as kids, right? We want everything. Well, let's, let's graduate, right? we put on our big children, our big people clothes and recognize that we don't need everything we want. And, and do you think it's ever too early to get started uh, owning stocks? No, I picked up this uh, little stat. I did not know this. Uh, Warren Buffett bought his first stock at the age of 11. Hmm. It was actually an oil stock that he sold for a $2 profit. Had he held it a little longer, it would have shot up. He bought it at 38. It would have shot up to 200. Interesting. But that yeah. was at age 11. Age 11. So it's never too early to start to start learning about these things and actually getting your feet wet in it and buying something. It's not a bad idea. It's, it's a great way to kind of just learn how the, the stock market works, how money works, the difference between risk and rewards, figuring out what, what trends are. And nowadays you can even buy fractional shares. You used to not be able to do that. There's right. no way to split a share. Now you can do that. You can buy $1 of, or $10 of Amazon stock. And you know, one of the habits that Buffett still maintains folks is he dresses up every day. It's like he's suiting up and he leaves the house to go to work. But when he goes to work, what does he do? Sitting in his shirt and his tie. He reads, he's evaluating what to sell, what to buy. He's doing his homework. He's not listening to his neighbor. He's not reading social media. He's doing his homework, making decisions. And I love one of his quotes, risk is not knowing what you're doing. And unfortunately, most of us don't have a clue about what we're doing. Last one real quick, Daniel, and we'll go to break. Fuel the entrepreneurial spirit. Again, it's never too early to start that. Warren Buffett started by selling gum and Coke. So encourage them to look for money market, money making opportunities. Like mowing the lawn. I guess you could still do that these days. That, that, that might Sell work, lemonade. right? Sure, sure worked for me. I, I love being outside making my own money and picking up more jobs. All right, folks, we've got to go to a quick break. Please stay with us. We've got more good news for you. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, 
we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and Daniel Medina here at Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. So glad you could spend some time with us this afternoon. And now that we've uh, talked about how your children can learn to replicate Warren Buffett, which is not a bad example to follow, we want to look at what's going on with so many of our the companies here. We see Daniel and I looking at a lot of companies that are limping along, zombie companies is what we call them. They're, they've got uh, cheap money, very inexpensive money. They don't have much product. They don't have much in the way of sales. And they could just fall off the face of the earth at any moment. And that seems to be happening more and more. Some of them, like the old brick and mortar stores, uh, well, yep, they're gone and they're not coming back. But at, just as we see, uh, this is fascinating to us, the high, highest number of bankruptcies we've seen certainly in a long time. We're also seeing record numbers of business starting up from scratch. So we're delighted that we could have uh, Paula Montesonciera with us. She's originally from Jamaica and I have to keep practicing how to pronounce her name. Uh, but she's a real expert when it comes to marketing. And clearly, if you want your business to survive and thrive, you've got to have some marketing systems in place, you know, passing out uh, business cards, making cold calls. Neither of those work like they might have worked in the past. So we need to have a whole new way of engagement. And, And part of that is digitally. So what is it that you do to help companies fight obscurity and stay visible, Paula? Hi, hey guys. Thanks for having me on, by the way. This is my favorite topic, guys, um, because I think the internet has been an amazing thing. However, it has clouded uh, business owners' mindset when it comes to how to market. It's like this idea of the magic will happen if I just have a website or if I just post on social media and step away. The reality is the business owner is still part of the founder, the marketing department is still part of the structure. And so right now for me, the, uh, you know, at post uh, at the, the beginning of uh, COVID, I realized that one of the things people would do, which be to shy away. And I realized this was the time for them to shine, huh? Um, and it was going to be important for them to be seen because we were locked in our houses. So fight obscurity, stay visible meant getting out there, posting, interacting, engaging with your clients, picking up the phone, having a proper marketing strategy for nurturing those relationships is so important. Uh, A lot of folks weren't doing it before. (laughs) Um, Let's dig deeper. I know Daniel has some questions in terms of how do you, what do you say when you pick up the phone? How can you dig, do you get those marketing conversations going? What's your first question, Daniel? You're on mute, I think. You said so. Sorry about that. You said something interesting, Paula. You you mentioned a marketing strategy. How do you even develop a marketing strategy? Where do you start? Oh, thank you for that question. Um, uh, I think it's a mystery to everyone because what I often hear is my business owners going, well, I have an amazing website or I've been posting on social media or I did some SEO work or I, I I spent a ton of money on branding. And then, but the reality is operating with all of those pieces in silos is not a marketing strategy. It's tactics that you've taken in order to nurture the business, right? So sitting, pulling back and the first things first is what I'm going to say. And the first thing 
is understanding your customers. And we're all guilty of it. I mean, I am guilty of it as well. I mean, what was it like six months ago, we rewarded all the content on our website because we wanted to make sure that we were coming from our customer's voice and what our customer's needs were. Um, and so really the first step would be to understand your customer's journey. How do they get from point you know, zero, not knowing who you are, being completely unaware of who you are? That person right now, for those business owners who are listening, your customers are trying to find you right now. What are they doing right now to start the process? And then we don't want to just get to that portion where we convert them and walk away, right? It's also about that relationship building. So notice that's another portion of your strategy as well. And then what are you planning to do afterwards? Again, nurturing. One of the questions that I get so often, guys, is you know when COVID came around, it was what's new in marketing? Marketing is absolutely new, right? Absolutely not. Marketing is about consistently communicating with your customers and building an awesome relationship with them. And why wouldn't you? These are the people who are getting you your monies and growing your revenue. So it's important to not just convert them and walk away, but to go through that entire journey, that walk, that path that they're taking from being unaware, building the relationship, and beyond that um, is going to be so important, especially now in digital. So can you be a little me, more specific, Paula, in terms of how you build an awesome relationship? I mean, that sounds, that sounds mm -hmm. great. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. three things would I do? Okay, well, um, you're, well, I mean, there's no three things, by the way. And, and I think, by the way, this is a great question, John, by the way, and I appreciate it. Because oftentimes I find that my business owners come exactly from the, that direction. Um, there is no um, ditto way of doing your marketing. It literally is going to be about who your customers are um, and what where your business is at the time. But let's walk through the process and let me give you some tips along that customer's journey, okay? So the first phase is that awareness phase. They can't purchase from you if they don't even know that you're there, if they don't even know that you're in the mix, right, guys? I mean, how can I even make the decision? So I know that oftentimes folks just figure they should post on social media and then that's it and walk away. But I want you to consider some other options. You could do um, a social um, advertising. Um, you could do email text marketing. That's a really big one right now. Email marketing. Um, you could utilize YouTube. That's a phenomenal one. The price is going up over there, though, um, because the bigger entities, the larger entities are discovering YouTube and the prices are going up. It's a process of, uh, you know, demand, right? Um, and then there's word of mouth. What are you doing with the clients that you already have? Are you um, activating them to make sure um, that they're telling their friends? Are you sending out newsletters and literally just saying, hey, we have a new product, share this with your friends. This is what the product's all about. Um, so that would be that awareness phase. If you need, the, the important thing here is to spread your arms as wide as possible. We want to grab onto as many folks within our demographic zone as possible. You know, it's that verbiage that you guys hear right now, sales funnel, sales funnel, sales funnel, right? Um, the key to the sales funnel is that you need to make it nice and wide and you're going to grab a bunch of people who kind of are interested. They're looking at you and making some considerations there. But as you go down, if you guys can visualize a funnel, the people who are going to interact, the people who are going to react, the people who are going to pick up a phone and call you instead of an appointment, it's going to narrow and narrow and narrow until you get that bunch of people who actually, actually activate and purchase from you, right? So you need to start with as large an arm as possible. So that's your awareness phase, right? So, so let me ask you, um, because that, you know, business owners tend to be busy. They try to do everything. They think they're yes. the best at doing all the things that need to be done. They, and, and we tend not to be, that's the truth. But we, he, all of us should identify what we're really good at and then pass on the responsibility to others who are expert at what they do. So how do you 
hold business owners' hands to make sure you're talking about here's what you could do, but is this something that they could depend on you to do on their behalf, uh, you know, respectively, individually? And then what what do you charge for the kind of services that you provide? Well, um, we are, I, uh, my tagline is I am an offsite marketing department for small to mid-sized business owners, um, seasoned business owners who've been doing it for a while. Um, one of our services that we offer is we call it power, powered marketing. Powered marketing means that we are your offsite marketing department. Um, we're calling you often. We want to share with you um, how things are going. Um, you get a weekly report from our system. Um, letting you know what's going on. We can even line you up against your three competition just so that you can see a comparison of what's going on. Again, we're not doing anything dark arts here, okay? It's just the fact that this information exists out on the web and we're just being smart about grabbing it for you to make sure that you see that report on a weekly. But um, we do a ton of websites right now. Um, websites have become the foundational item of your marketing. And I want you to throw out that old mindset, John, about like, oh, it's a pretty face. We drop a logo. We put some pictures on. Your logo can be used for your sales guys, follow up, your um, forms um, for your clients uh, to onboard new clients can be on the back end. Your pitch decks can be on the back end. There's a myriad of things that the website can be used for. Um, so that's a big one that we're doing right now. Um, but in essence, we sit down with you and we walk you through your customer's journey and we come up with a strategy for you. Step one, before we start executing, we do most things in-house. Um, what we, um, we don't do in-house, we want to make sure that we pull that in under one umbrella. The key reason why we do that, because, yeah, they could do it themselves. So much is out there right now. The key reason is to manage your budget, manage your goals. Because if you have all these vendors out there doing what they think is best without your direction, without the knowledge of what your your customer needs, we're, we're not really executing a plan for you and your, and to support your revenue goals, are we? You know, so that's literally what we do in a nutshell. We come in and we act as though we're part of your business. We help you to create the strategy. We execute the strategy. Um, We're usually in for a long period of time, but we do do project by projects as well, like website, like your social media, getting your content and posting, advertising. We do email marketing and automation for you. um, And we manage your um, AdWords as well. um, So how are you compensated and, and what's your contact information, please? Um, we are compensated depending on the package that you choose. If you come in and you just want a website, um, that's going to start at the bottom end, at the bottom end, because there's so much legalities now with the website. The bottom end is going to be $3,500. Um, depending on the size of your team, that could go up because that's just pages and pages of work that we need to do. Um, however, if you are um, bringing us in as your marketing department, at the bottom end, we're going to start at $2,700 per month. We handle about four projects for you per month, reporting to you often, plus you get your weekly reports as well. Um, and we uh, can manage your team as well. Um, if you already have some hands in-house um, where they would execute the work, um, you would just simp- we would just simply charge you an hourly rate of $4.25 to come in coach, which really when I say come in, we're talking about Zoom, um, and simply manage your team and lead them appropriately. Um, I'll give you a quick example, John. The other day, uh, someone called me and um, they had actually really smart uh, assistant in-house, but she was spending all her time creating these beautiful posts that she was posting on social media. That's not marketing. Um, That's sharing a lot of pushing information out, but not pulling anything in. So we came in and we're now the freelance CFO, uh, um, uh, CMO, um, really uh, offering advice and making sure the team is staying on point, on budget, on time, on goal. Um, and so those are the three ways that you could uh, tap into us for co- marketing coaching, coming in as your full marketing team or project by project. 
Okay. Let's talk. Yeah, Daniel, let's talk go ahead. about SEO. I've heard something we've heard about over the years. I never really understood what it is. So, can you explain what is it, and is it still worth looking at? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> How exactly, right? It's so search engine optimization for those of you who don't know. So SEO, search engine optimization. Um, it's kind of considered the voodoo area of marketing. Uh, everyone's like, I don't know what it does. They told me I'm supposed to use it. I have no idea. Um, it is important. Um, if you have a web, a proper web strategy, you want an SEO strategy. A lot of people who know a little bit about it thinks that it's just the work that you do on the website. We refer to that as on-page SEO. So all the back-end work, all we're, all we're doing, guys, is making sure the right content is there so your clients can find you. Uh, kind of like a good example of that, if you're kind of out and about with a family and you're like, you know, let's grab some pizza before we get home, and you type in pizza um, place near me because they've dropped in the, the right wording. So it's picking up for that specific city so that when you do the search, it's coming up for consideration. Remember what we talked about during the awareness phase in the customer journey, you can't be considered if no one can find you. Right? So that's the cert, that's the on-page portion of it. But the key is that there are two other sections of SEO that most people are unaware of. It's also the off-page stuff as well. Let's say you've moved offices a couple of times. Let's say you've changed phone numbers a couple of times. Let's say you know we have uh, employees out there who dropped in the name um, incorrectly. And so there's a lot of errors living out on the web. Google sees this as a bad thing. Think of Google and the search engines as really great referral partners. They're not going to refer you if your information's incorrect and they see that you're not doing the right things. So that off-page SEO, that off-page listing about your information incorrect or if it's going well is going to work for you or against you. That's part of the work as well. And also your content needs to be reworked on your website. So that's part of it as well. So think in three phases, the on-page work that has to be done. The off-page listing, need to make sure that people are finding you, the information is correct. Uh, by the way, also remember nowadays, especially for the high-end cars, you are part of navigation. So if people can't pick up the right information to get to you, that's also a problem as well, right? So well, speaking of that, Paula, fun. we're going to have to get off to our break. But before we okay. do so... Uh, give us your contact information, please. Absolutely. Um, people can reach out to me at my website, powermarketingsf, that's San Francisco, sf.com. Or um, actually, that's the best one. Jump onto my website and you can contact me there. Again, Paula Madison Sierra at um, powermarketingsf.com. Thank you guys so much for having me on, by the way. I appreciate it. So glad to have you, Paula, and love the work that you're doing. And like we say, we all want to survive and thrive, whether it's coming to our health, our finances, or our business. It just makes life so much more interesting. We want to be in the news as opposed to on the news. We want to tell our own stories and how we made some progress, no matter what the next wave might be. And by the way, folks, I don't know if you know it or not, but last week started hurricane season. Apparently, it's going to be a great year for hurricanes. So you never know what's going to happen when. Uh, and we'll talk more about that by analogy right over our, our after our break, we'll be right back after this short message. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. 
visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, my friends. John Grayson, my cohort, uh, Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. We've uh, kind of uh, gotten into marketing to give you some sense of how to survive and thrive. And speaking of survival and thriving, we want to look at stock prices. But let me paint the picture a little bit here. Let me put the foundation in order. Because one of the things that people always ask us is when will the bottom fall out? Now, let's put things in perspective here. You know, you might remember that, uh, you know, where was the trigger for Japan's 62% crash from late 1989 to 1992, okay? And, and what we're seeing in terms of the US and Asia, along with uh, the EU, is that the central banks have been artificially pushed by stimulus for so long that we're literally at the point where they could burst for no big reason. So the way I like to say it is, if you and I were jaywalking across the street, it's not the bus we see that could disrupt our day. It's typically the one we didn't see, we didn't time, and maybe we get the license plate once we peel ourselves up off the pavement. But remember, uh, back in the late 80s, the Japanese economy, we thought they were going to be number one in GDP in the world. That did not happen. But they looked just fine in late 1989, as you may recall. And they looked like they were playing as if they were a well-tuned piano. Uh, but let's understand that, um, you know, that things came apart at the seams, started by the stock market and then by the real estate market in Japan. And, and please notice that neither of them are back to their highs. Stock market, late 1989, Japanese real estate market, 1990, 91, neither are back to their highs. So to me, if this isn't something we should all talk about and pay attention to, not to say that it's going to happen, but the question becomes, suppose it does happen, on our watch. And that means if you were 50 years old in Japan, now you're 80 years old and neither your home or your residential real estate or your stock market is back to the highs that took place 30 years ago. Now, that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But remember, uh, we talked about the first tech bubble crashed in 1978. And, and remember, the, the early 2000s was like the roaring 20s. It started with a bang, but it ended with a huge bust. There have been no signs of recession. In fact, the recession didn't really set in until late 2000 or 2001, several months after stocks started to crash. So the research team, uh, Dent Research, is suggesting that uh, China is the central bubble in this 90-year cycle final crash. Uh, as I say, 90 bubble years is what they're looking at, uh, starting with the uh, Chinese housing bubble, but also due to their stocks and the overall economy. And it's worth mentioning that what we learned in COVID is certainly a big reminder. We're all drinking the same water, we're breathing the same air, and we will we'll be flying the same airplanes again. So what goes around comes around. And again, we're not making a prediction. We are submitting that it makes sense to look at the history, learn from that history, and then put some preparation in place to say, okay, if the Titanic goes down and I'm on the ship, how am I going to get 
off the ship and onto shoreline where I can watch the Titanic do what it does without me in, uh, participating in all of that drama in real time. So this is uh, the foundation that we wanted to lay. And this is uh, right in line with what Susie Orman is suggesting is that stock prices could be a problem for you. And remember, how could that be a problem? We're staying at the highs. Some suggest that we're gonna you know, be up another 10% from here. Who knows? But we all enjoy the melt up. It's that melt down that most people are not prepared for to recognize how they can avoid participating. Let the market do what it does, but how can we keep our assets intact as opposed to allowing them to be handed to us? So as I said earlier, Daniel, uh, we don't always agree with Susie Orman, and I am jealous. I'm not as famous as Susie Orman, nowhere close, but she makes some good points here. What, what do you see that got your attention? Well, one of the things that she makes a point of, which I think it has good merit, but it's important to frame a conversation. She believes that your age should determine your stock allocation or your asset allocation. That's logical. It's just not always practical. Everyone's situation is different. And more importantly, everyone's risk tolerance is different. So when you say their age, you're talking about that if, they, if they're you're taking the number of, do the, the math in terms of how she does it based on age, please. Well, one of the one of the things that a lot of people hold as kind of a rule of thumb is yeah. they take the, the inverse of their age for their stock allocation. So if you're, okay. as an example, if you're 65 years old, then subtract that from 100, and that's how much uh, of a bond, how much of a stock allocation you should have. So if you're 65, you should have 35% in stocks. If you're 70, you should have 30% of stocks, so on and so forth. That's very logical. The idea is as you get older, you want to take less risk because you don't have the time to recover. But we have people who are in their 80s who have a whole lot of money and they have, they're, they're very aggressively allocated. So what you're saying is, I, I would say it is, this, is, this was the old way of doing it. And that's what we're trying to convey, folks, is that sometimes the old ways, those days are done. And, but it's too simplistic. That was as good as it was 40 years ago. But today the question becomes, regardless of your age, what kind of loss can you live with? Please choose with your eyes wide open. Is it 8%? Is it 80%? It's not as simple as being 60% this or that, all right? It's more important to recognize in advance, one, what kind of loss is okay? Let's figure that out. And two, how did our portfolio do relative to our expectation for loss? And then three, what can we do that might make the portfolio better prepared for the next time the market's off? If it's off 50%, are you okay with that? We only need 100% gain to get back to even. Maybe you want to be out at 5%. This is all customizable these days, thanks to technology, as opposed to trying to, to do it yourself. So I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Susie's formula is about as old as she and I are, and that's very old. Uh, and then the good news is that technology has moved into the equation, but that hasn't been explained to most investors for them to see how to employ technology. She does make the point though, that if you had the ratio, that however it was, let's say 10 years ago, and you know what you've seen in the last 10 years is that the S&P uh, has just uh, quadrupled in, in her uh, experience for the last 10 years. In the last five years, the S&P has more than doubled. So your ratio of stocks, for example, may today be higher than it was. And it just kind of flipped. You didn't recognize you were 60% stocks and 40% bonds 10, 5 years ago. But now because the account has enjoyed so much growth on the stock side, you could be 80% stocks. It, it, again, regardless of your age, the question is, remember, we had two times in the same decade where the S&P handed us 50% losses. If that happens again, particularly as you are taking withdrawals, whether because you want to or you have to take those withdrawals, can you afford to weather that kind of a hurricane when your account is off 50% and you're taking out modestly at the rate of 3 or 4%? Well, her, her point goes back to rebalancing, which is right. one, of, one of those things that, that we talk about a lot on our side uh, as professional money managers and financial planners, but we don't hear enough about it 
from the people that are doing it themselves. They never talk about rebalancing, or at least I don't hear them talking about it. The idea is when you, when you set an asset allocation, let's say you set an asset allocation 10 years ago of 60% stocks and 40% bonds, like you suggested, the, the stock market has done significantly better than the bond market. So your asset allocation has gone way out of whack. Your stocks have grown substantially more than your bonds. So now where you started at 60, 40, you might be more like 80% stocks, 20% bonds or more. So now are you taking on more risk than what you really want to? And this is an eyes wide open observation. I mean, Daniel and I, uh, we enjoy working with engineers in particular because they, they are fond of math. They don't like sales stuff. <laughs> That's not what they call it. And uh, they, they do like a good argument. But if we were sitting with one good client and he's only been a good client since all, all of 14. He says, well, you know, I'm a conservative investor. And we're looking at his 401k statement. We're like, well, let's see. Uh, one of you is lying. He said, what do you mean? I go, well, we hear you say that you're conservative. And that means to me that you've gotten very comfortable with your portfolio, but your portfolio is 85% stocks and 15% bonds. This portfolio got hurt in 2008. So it's easy for you to say you're conservative, but the, the statement is reflecting a different answer. And by the way, I want you to know, I believe the statement. <laughs> so let's not just get comfortable and complacent. By the way, remember one of the uh, doctors regarding the uh, COVID-19, he said the problem with being optimistic is that people become complacency. It leads to their being complacent. And that means they're not being vigilant for that bust. So your point is, is specific, is right on. People intend to realign or rebalance. They do it uh, manually, let's say every quarter or twice a year, but that's in arrears, right? We're trying to say, what can we do today to prepare for things falling apart tomorrow when you're not paying attention, where the portfolio becomes more defensive on your behalf that might perform within your loss parameters, as opposed to seeing after the fact that I was willing to accept a 10% loss. I believe I'm a conservative investor, but lo and behold, out of the blue, my account's down 40, 50, 60%, whatever it might be. Okay. Yeah, and actually a fidelity study suggests that 20% of people that have money in the stock market are far more aggressive than they should be. And boomers are the ones that are the, the ones that are actually even more likely to be more aggressive than they should be. And that suggests the same thing, that they just haven't reallocated their, their, their portfolios over the last five or 10 years. They haven't thought about it. And boomers started back in the 80s. No one told right? them. Yeah, they, they, and they enjoyed all of those gains. And as again, we get comfortable with the expectation the gains are going to continue. But in fact, Daniel started, we, this was September of 2006, and we went to a workshop uh, where someone I know I thought the world of, and I was trying to impress Daniel with the smart people I know. And he asked the question, uh, you know, folks, uh, there've been one 50% decline, that was 002. Suppose there's a second one in the same decade. So on the way back to the office, I looked at Daniel, I go, we've never heard that question before. That's a really good question. We need to come up with a strategy before the bottom falls out. It might not happen, but let's just be ready in the event it does happen. Sure enough, around 08, there was another 50% loss. Who thunk that was going to occur? But we began in uh, January of 07, talking to clients about some things they could do that where the, move, the money can be in places that are more actively managed as opposed to passively managed. So the difference is, when it's passively managed, we're moving stocks like chairs on the Titanic, but the overall market is in serious decline. No, no, no. Active management means that in 08, for example, your portfolio may have started with a ratio of 5% cash, 95% invested, but suppose it automatically moved to 50, 60, 100% of cash in 08, a very bad year that could limit your losses to maybe 50% of what the most investors saw happen in 08. And then starting in 09, you know, now we're risk on. Now we're looking at March 9th, we're seeing the uh, environment change. We're going to enjoy, we think, a melt up. So March 9th, 2009, now we're pairing out of safety cash, again, up to 100%, back down to as little as 5% automatically throughout the year, not in arrears, not trying to time it in any way, but reading the economic tea leaves in such a way, knowing that we can move back to safety at any time, we think now is the time to get 
the money back on the track because if we can limit the losses in 08 to let's say 20% or less and enjoy let's say a 20 or 25% gain hypothetically in 2009, now you can see, gee whiz, the account is uh, getting back to even in, in less than 24 months as a, that's being actively managed as compared to the passively managed accounts that stayed fully invested, uh, just a modicum of, of cash in the portfolio. Many cases, they took four years or more to get back to even. So that, that's the way that we like to uh, put things together so that the, the account moves as the market moves, regardless of how busy you are, we don't have to reach out to you. We don't have to get your, your permission. The, the system is, we design it up front and then we test it per periodically to see how we are doing. And we think that's going to be helpful as we move forward because the, um, the research team is, is really clear. They're saying the, the biggest uh, country to worry about happens to be China. Um, it has been the greatest generator of growth since 1995, and its slowdown will be the ultimate global trigger for the deep downturn, which we knew was necessary in the 2008-2009 great financial crisis to deleverage debt substantially, but which we were never allowed to happen. So we see the defaults rising, uh, debt large everywhere, whether it's consumer, uh, business, or government. And at some point, the, the music stops on the carousel, and that's when everybody has to get off. So we are, we're going to leave it there for now. Uh, please feel free to pick up my book, Making Finance Make Sense. Uh, keep joining us every Wednesday from 12 to 1 here in Voice America. Please give us your questions that you'd like to make sure that we address. And that actually helps us design what we're going to handle from week to week. And by the way, uh, stay tuned because on June 30th, we're going to have a good friend of mine who I would love to see as Federal Reserve Chair. I don't have access to the Federal Reserve Chair, James Powell, but I do have access to some people who could be the Federal Reserve Chair. And we want to find out what is he worried about? What does he think about? And you know, that would be a good time for you to pose questions that, that he not only can answer, but you can understand to get a sense for how do I get to know what might happen and how do I prepare for it no matter what happens. So we'll leave it there, folks. We'll be right back here next uh, Wednesday, same time and same bat station. We'll see you then. you for tuning to fiscal fitness please join john grace and co-host daniel medina again next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time and 12 noon pacific time on the voice america business channel have an excellent week